So it was just about three years ago. Oh, let me take this off, actually. can't wait for these things to go away. It was just about three years ago to the day that I was notified that I was officially going to seminary at Church Divinity School of the Pacific in Berkeley, California. Now, this was a big deal for me. And I remember when I got the call from our dean of students, the Rev- Reverend Andrew Hibble. I was sitting in my living room. I was drinking coffee. It was a Friday afternoon. And uh, Dean Hibble called me and told me I had been admitted and that I had a scholarship and would I like to come to California. And I said yes immediately. And I gave out this huge uh, North Carolina redneck, woo! Um, If you've been to North Carolina, you've you've probably heard those a few times from people. Uh, But I was so excited. I was thrilled. It was the beginning of this new chapter in my life and a new chapter in which I'd worked so hard for. Me. Seminary, after years of discernment and months of conversations and interviews and mental health evaluations and background checks, which I passed, I was finally going to become a priest in God's church. So a few months later, I found myself driving westbound to California through the desert I'd packed all of my belongings into my small black VW Jetta, and I started making my way across the country. I didn't know what to expect for the next three years of my life. I didn't know what I was going to learn or how I was going to be formed. Who would I meet? As I passed cars heading east, I thought about the drivers on the other side of the yellow line. Who, I wondered, will I be When I come back. When I arrived in Berkeley, I found a really challenging and vibrant community unlike any that I'd ever lived in in my entire life. The classes were unique. They were new. My professors were engaging. The community embraced me as one of their own. I quickly made friends. I started exploring this beautiful area. I found all souls. I started learning how to become a priest. There were community nights. There were meals shared together. There were study groups. There were a couple of parties. Seminary was everything that I had hoped for and more. And then, well, you know the rest of the story. Exactly halfway through my time in seminary, COVID-19 hit the world in early 2020, and all of the hopes and dreams and expectations that I carried with me for seminary came crashing down. There was no more in-person class. There was no more in-person worship. Gone were the community nights. Gone were the group study sessions. Gone were the meals and the gatherings and the parties. And in an instant, everything changed the hope and happiness, the wonder and the awe that I had turned to gloom and loneliness and isolation and grief. The story of my time in seminary is only one of billions 
And I'm sure that each and every one of you sitting here and watching this have your own story, just like mine or even worse. We have lost a lot this year. Aside from the countless lives, many of us have lost jobs, we have lost graduations, we have lost years in school, we have lost trips, friendships, gatherings, weddings, funerals, proms, social occasions that, that carry us throughout the year, that help us pass the torch from one generation to the next. Rites of passage. Take a moment here. I want you to reflect on what you have lost in this past year. Is there one particular event that was stripped away from you? One particular life moment that you lost? What is that moment? And what emotions does it bring up with you when you think about it? If you're like me, you may notice some pretty dark emotions when you think about what you may have missed. For me, when I think about seminary and everything I have missed out on, I get angry. I get sad. I feel resentment and grief bubble up inside of me. Not at any one person or at any school or even God but just at the universe for the way in which things have happened. Why, I think, why did it have to happen like this? Now what do we do? If there is anyone in the gospel who can relate to the feelings of having our hopes and our ambitions and our desires stripped away from us, it is the disciple Thomas. Thomas has gotten a bad rap over the centuries because he is a figure who has doubted the resurrection. For years, he has been lambasted for his cynicism, his absence, his need to see proof. But honestly, as I sit in the grief and anguish of what has been stripped of me and, and what has been stripped of us, I can relate to Thomas now more than ever. Let's pause for a moment and, and put ourselves in Thomas's shoes. Like us, Thomas had high expectations for the future. Like us, Thomas was swept up in the romantic vision of what could be, of what should be. Remember, this was a man who, like the other disciples, dropped everything. This was a man who dropped his nets and followed Jesus, the mysterious and compelling Nazarene. And perhaps he was doubtful at first. I'll, I'll give you that. But then Thomas saw Jesus do the impossible. He saw Jesus heal the sick. He saw Jesus teach people in ways that they had never been taught before. He saw Jesus turn water into wine. He saw Jesus walk on the oceans and calm the seas. He saw Jesus raise people from the dead. 
perhaps doubtful at first. Thomas, Thomas was a believer. All the talk of the Messiah, of ancient prophecies coming true, this was real for Thomas. It wasn't crazy anymore. For Thomas, this was it. This was happening. It was here. It was now. History remembers Thomas as a doubtful disciple. And I think it's selling him short. If we look even earlier in the Gospels, we see a Thomas who is more engaged and perhaps more committed than any other disciple. In the 11th chapter of John, we see Jesus telling his disciples that he must return to visit his friend in Judea, Lazarus, who is sick and dying. Nearly all of the disciples say, Jesus, don't go back. They'll kill you. All of the disciples, except for Thomas. Thomas says, let us go with you also. Jesus, you must go. Let us go with you also so that we may die as well. Thomas is no cynic. He's a believer. He's filled with hope and joy that this man named Jesus the mysterious and compelling Nazarene that convinced him to drop his nets and follow him is the Messiah. He is so excited for what the future might bring. But then the unthinkable happens. Jesus is arrested, tortured, beaten, mocked, and crucified. And the movement that was so once life-giving and so promising was stripped away in an instant. I can imagine the same feelings of grief and anger and frustration. The same feelings that we feel today about what has been stripped from us so instantly. I can imagine those same emotions running through Thomas those first few days after Christ was crucified. Why? Why did it have to happen like this? And what do we do now? I often think about where Thomas was that first night when Christ first appeared to the disciples in the locked room. Do you ever think about that? Where was Thomas? Was he out in the corner of some dark drinking hole trying to bury his anguish with alcohol or food? Was he in the temple praying to God that night? Or was he out on some long late night walk in Jerusalem? We don't know where Thomas was that night, but I can empathize with him. I can understand the need to retreat, to isolate in the face of grief, in the face of loss. And I can empathize with his reaction to the news that Christ has returned. Disbelief, shock, doubt, maybe even some anger. I can imagine that Thomas was angry with the disciples that they might have the audacity to somehow joke about something so serious so soon. What, really? Jesus is alive and I missed him? No. It is hard to believe in new life. It's hard to believe in resurrection 
when we are confronted with the death of something that we cherish and that we love. But then Jesus appears again. And in this second appearance, Jesus makes it clear to Thomas and the disciples in the locked room that he wishes for the disciples to drop their fear and their grief and their anger. Peace be with you, Jesus says. He says it two, three times in this short episode back in the locked room where he broke bread with them just two or three days ago. Peace be with you. Aside from these words of comfort, Jesus bids the disciples to forgive. To forgive. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. I think Jesus is telling the disciples and is telling Thomas and is telling us today that the dark emotions that we harbor about all that we have lost, all that has been stripped away from us these past few months must not be retained. We must let go of the anger and the pain and the grief. We must let go of the unmet expectations, the lost years of high school or college or seminary, the lost lives, the friendships and the celebrations, the businesses, the money, the pride, the time. And let me be clear, when I say we need to let go, I don't mean we need to bury it and act like it never happened. But perhaps we need to honor it and hold it up for what it is and relinquish it. We must relinquish the failed hopes of what could have been. All of it must be forgiven if we are to find new life in the midst of this pain. If we fail to forgive, if we fail to relinquish it, then we risk never fully leaving the tomb. And we risk never fully seeing the resurrection. In a few weeks, I will once again pack all of my belongings into my small VW Jetta and make my way eastward across the desert back to North Carolina. When I look back at all the hopes that I had for my time in Berkeley these past few months, I can't say that all of my expectations and my hopes and dreams were met. The last three years were nothing like I expected or hoped for or planned for. And I'm angry about it. I'm mad. I'm sad. I'm frustrated. But I'm going to try and let that go. With God's help, I'm going to forgive. And I want the same for you. So siblings in Christ, peace be with you. Let us let go of the grief that lingers from COVID-19 in the year 2020. Let us not retain these dark emotions which harbor inside of us. Let us leave the anger and the frustration and the pain back in the tomb where it belongs. And let us take the first steps in this Easter season. 
which extends to us a life which we didn't fully hope for or plan for, but one which is far more beautiful and complex and mysterious and precious than we could ever imagine.